Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio. Simply Glory. Father, we thank you for this time again of going into your word and receiving and being enlightened by your rhema, your revealed word for our lives as a believer so that we can manifest who we are growing into from glory to glory and from faith to faith in this life as a believer, being one with you, you and us, and we in you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for... We thank you for all that you're going to do. We thank you for the manifestation of your spirit in our lives, in every aspect of our, our lives, from the study to our, our fellowship with our brothers and sisters, to the worship setting, to our jobs and our business decisions and everything that we involve ourselves in. As we acknowledge you in all our ways, you will. You have guaranteed to direct our paths, and we thank you for that, and we, we trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Having the last day seems to be engraved in our being as early as a toddler. The last and final day seems to be, by nature, hold the most weight in any given conversation between family, friends, business professionals, and even strangers meeting for the first time. For some reason, we, it, we, hold, we hold weight in our minds for having the last day. This is no coincidence and must be noted in the appropriation within our lives as believers. Proverbs 3 tells us to acknowledge God in all of our ways, and it guarantees us that He will direct the paths that we take. We've confessed Him as Lord at this point, and we must honor Him in our daily walk as Lord, and His Word being the final authority. God's written Word should have in each of our lives sovereign voice. God's Word should have in each of our lives final authority. It holds weight over every other opinion, over any ungodly counsel, as Scripture says in Psalms 1, over our family members, over traditions, over what we're used to doing, over what just feels right. The Word of God should have, must have final authority in each of our lives. Romans 10.17 tells us, shows us that the Word first is the igniter of faith in our lives. So, what we live by, Scripture tells us that the just live by faith, so what we live by has, in fact, been ignited by the Word of God. Why would we, as we begin this life as a believer and are operating, or having our minds and desires to operate in faith, leave the very thing that started the process. We must, must give place and appropriate the Word of God being final authority in our lives. Romans 10, 17 tells us this. We've heard this before. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So this faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It ignites the process. It starts the process, as well as continues it. If we hear the Word of God in faith, uh, it's introduced and begins in that growth process. But we, at some point, stop hearing the Word of God not only the written word, but the spoken word of God, we begin to suffer. Our life begins to suffer. Just as if in the natural we leave, um, leave out eating or drinking water, drinking juices that have the nutrients and the nourishment that our body needs. And so in the spirit, when we do not have an intake of the word of God in various forms, in fact, uh, writ- the written has its place, the spoken word has its place, and the 
study of the word has its place. Just reading the word is not enough at this point. You have been introduced to the word of God. Now you're at the stage where you have to allow yourself to study and communicate to yourself what the word of God is saying, what the heart of the word is. We talked about that in the last session. And in this in acknowledging the final authority of the word of God, we're saying, Lord, you are Lord of my life. I've confessed you as Lord. Now I want to and I desire to and I'm taking the steps to acknowledge what you have said and are saying to me directly. It by your spirit it is final authority in my life. And in every situation, what you say is what I'll go by. Your words are the compass of my life. That is what you're saying. When you, when you make him Lord of your life, and we must operate in that on a daily basis, the word ensures us that it is true and will enable, enable us to trust the author, who is God himself, and take him at his word. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, So shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word is provision to the person who embraces the will of God for their life. The word does not return to God void. So, because of this fact, because of this truth, we can reassure and have a confidence and as Paul says, be persuaded in our own mind that it is worth the investment of time and our energy to know the Word of God and become one with the Word of God and most of all, have the Word of God as the final authority. No matter what the situation is, no matter what decision we're making, even our business decisions, what uh, the Word of God embodies our business decisions and our relationships and our fellowships, who we break bread with, who we hang out with, who we spend time on the phone with, who we, even in our work settings, who we actually give ear to. It embodies what the Word of God promotes. If it does not embody what the Word of God promotes, we are denying the very power of God that's in us. And the Word talks about those of us that are in that state that we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Too many people, I want, too many people do this, even at uh, advanced, quote unquote, stages in the body or in the church of God. And I want to make sure, I want to ensure that at this stage, as you're building your foundation, you understand that the Word of God should have final authority and always have final authority in everything. From the time you walk into the sanctuary and begin to motion to uh participate in the praise and worship or if you're called on to read a scripture or if you are in a cell group and you are studying quote unquote the word of God the word of God should have final authority not opinions and not what you went through not what uh, grandmama said or my boss or even my former pastor if they were in the wrong if they were not speaking on behalf of the spirit of God and by unction of the spirit of God through proper interpretation we are to not um, have that as our compass but the word of God to be final authority if, if what they have said matches what the word promotes then speak it by all means but the word of God has final and not but because that um, disqualifies that and the word of God has final authority always always at this point 
ingrain that in your mind and in your heart that the word of God has final authority God in Hebrews uh, well the author of Hebrews refers to what was said by um, the servant of God of old concerning the prophet of God of old who related what the word of God was concerning the new covenant that his word would be in our minds and in our hearts look at uh, Hebrews 10 and 8 it talks about that the word provides us it provides us answers and directions for everything in life and everything in God. And Second Peter 1, 4 through 6 speaks of this. Verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence and to your faith virtue the virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and patience godliness giving all diligence and to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness that's not the scripture I wanted to go to the word will expand the spirit within us and the Zoe life that is spoken of uh, for you will be refreshing and abundant. Ephesians 3 and 16 through 21 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit and the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye be being rooted and grounded in love which we understand love to be God himself may be able to comprehend with all things what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Gaining the knowledge of the Word of God, we embody what who God is, the essence of God, which is love. God is love. We embody that. And this is uh, Paul's prayer to the church of Ephesus concerning them comprehending what the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, basically the essence of what the love of Christ is, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. And in verse 20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. After we have gained the knowledge of God, and we embrace who God is, his love, and are filled with the fullness of God, he is able to do that which is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to that power that is in us, working in us. In Philippians 2.13, Paul tells the church at Philippi that it is him, God himself, who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it is his power that is working in us. And as his power works in us, we are to acknowledge the word that is one with that power at all times so that the power can be appropriated in our lives and then as we understand and operate in the giftings and the ministries that we are called to we can operate effectively and appropriately in that power according to the final authority which is the word of God.
then repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from the outward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders were and signs were done by the apostles. I was directed by the Spirit of the Lord to begin to minister in light of our doctrine. The Lord reminded me that one of the mandates that he gave me as a minister of the gospel was to be a diligent doctrinal instructor. And if I was going to be a diligent doctrinal instructor, I would have to teach on things and areas that are not necessarily popular or common, but are necessary for the believer to understand. The apostles from the onset of the scene after the resurrection of Jesus automatically begin to teach out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We see that the influx of souls being saved marked uh, uh, impression on the message that they carried, confirming uh, that message was the manifestation of the Holy Spirit which enabled them to act. And thus we have the Acts of the Apostles. And so from there, being a move of the Spirit, enabled on the message that they were given, the church was added daily as such should be saved. I rarely hear, however, exactly what was the Apostles' doctrine. And for that reason we will begin a systematic study on exactly isolating overall themes of the Apostles' Doctrine. So we started in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 43. And in a nutshell, we can summarize the first division of this teaching by highlighting the essence behind the doctrine. And there are three major essences. Number one, the receptivity of the knowledge of God found in Christ Jesus. And then number two, the reality of our new nature in Christ afforded by his resurrection. And then for this first division, we will summarize our study with the role of reconciliation through kingdom building. Amen. So, in essence, we see God at work to give receptivity to his word, reality to our nature in him, and the, the role of reconciliation as he builds the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. All of this really sparked at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Now, a lot of reasons why we do not emphasize the doctrinal message is because there has been a distortion on what it means to have an apostolic movement. And we know that there are historically churches that have coined themselves under the apostles' doctrine. However, I feel that historically there has not been a blueprint, a roadmap as to indicating exactly what the apostles' doctrine was. There is historically also a group of people that elevate the emphasis of Jesus being the Son of God and actually being one with God, canceling out his sonship to just being divine. And we know that the scriptures forbids us to deviate from the essential doctrine which has the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So we, when we speak of an apostolic movement or ministry, we are not speaking of a denomination. We are speaking in essence of the miraculous work of Christ that enabled the apostles of the Lord Jesus, those that uh, were disciples when Jesus was walking on the earth, and then assigned to carry out the mission of the church, to establish churches at will, that in essence was the true apostolic movement. And they have five simple ways to manifest this movement. Number one, through the ministry of the word. Number two, through the ministration or the administration of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, through the miraculous demonstration of signs and wonders. And then through the mega effect of kingdom building. And then last but not least, the ministry of reconciliation. You can note that in the particular chapter we see all of these dynamics in there. Paul, Peter being anointed of God to call the people to repentance and to be submerged in the nature of Christ so that they could be redeemed from their sins and they could receive the gift giver, the Holy Spirit, who would enable them to live out the Christian life. We also understand that this promise was perpetual to everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And then he exhorted them through preaching these words and also many other words and testifying and exhorting what God was doing in that land to make a distinction between the world and righteousness. And as a result, people received the word. They were baptized, and the Bible says that they were added from that day from 120 to about 3,000 souls. There was a mega effect, and they began to fellowship and continue in prayer and then have a greater reverence toward the things of God. And then it concludes the signature print of this movement, this apostolic movement, was the signs and wonders done by those that built the church. And perhaps if we would continue to emphasize this in the mandate of doctrine, we can isolate whether the church is truly in acting out that plan which God has uh, described through his word. And so let's find out some things that happen when we begin to receive 
receive the knowledge of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that the apostles did was for the fulfilling of Scripture, so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. The Scriptures became the blueprint of their destiny. All that Jesus did and all that he promised and all that he empowered them to perform was for the sake of the fulfillment of Scripture, prophetically, practically, and also as they begin to build the kingdom of God. So as we begin to study God's word in light of this apostolic wave in the church, it reminds us that when we place an emphasis on the word of God and focus to obtain the knowledge of God, we can confidently exist as the church of God. So there are things that happen when we empower the word of God and give it proper place in our lives. Number one, it purifies the intents of our hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder the soul from the spirit and the of the joints and the marrow. <clears throat> Amen. So we know that the word of God is quick and powerful and is sharp, but is able to divide asunder the soul from the spirit. We thank God for him being able in us, and, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We know that the first thing that it will do is clean our heart, and our heart state is our life state. Secondly, we know that the Word of God, when it's applied to our life and is given proper place, will pr produce faith needed for the divine intended quality of life. Of course, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When we allow God's Word to have proper place in our lives, then we can uh, exist in faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Thirdly, it perfects, which means to mature, our conduct through the process of sanctification. First Timothy four through six says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with an hot iron and forbidding to marry, and commanded to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained the truth. For every creature is of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified, again, by the word of God and, uh, and prayer. Hallelujah. So we understand 
that the Word of God perfects. It matures our conduct through the process of sanctification. Fourthly, the, it provides power to perform beyond the natural. I love Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not all, as in my presence only, but as much more in my absence, Work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling, for it is good for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then it commends us to do all things without murmuring and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of the crooked and perverse nation among ye. Um, whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life which is the word of God, that you may rejoice in the day of Christ and that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if it be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Why? Because God's word provides power to perform beyond the natural. And it places a passion to proclaim Finally, number five, the impact of, of of the Word of God on your life. And Peter, and we'll go back to Peter in a little later, but Peter chapter 1 verses 20 through 25 says, Who verily was foreordained by the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in him, that raised him up from the dead, glory to God, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto undefamed love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, born, being born again not of corruptible seed but of the incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as of grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So we know that the word of God will purify our hearts, it will produce faith needed for a divine, uh, divine intended quality of life. It will perfect our conduct through the process of sanctification. It will provide power to perform beyond the natural. And it will place a passion to proclaim that impact that the Word of God has placed on our life. Let's briefly conclude this by highlighting the six scriptures that give directly the knowledge of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6, we see that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So number one, and I want you to get these points as we conclude. When you allow God's word not only to have proper place in your life, but you receive the word of God as the impartation or the mechanism that will impart the knowledge of God, 
you will have a readiness to obey the directives of God. You will have a readiness to obey the directives of God. Why? Because it, it, it says in verse 6, And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. That's why you bring everything into obedience based on the word of God. You make the word of God as final authority. Then go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look at the 33rd through the 38th verse. It says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, thou which sowest, sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. But bare grain, it may chance of wheat and some other grain. But God giveth it to a body as it pleased him, and to every seed his own body. What is letting what this passage is letting us know is that the knowledge of God, secondly, will raise our language to the life of faith. Because we understand that without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone that uh comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. They were looking for a natural resurrection when the resurrection from the dead had already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. But at this particular point, the natural man could not understand the things of God because they were spiritually discerned. And because God is a spirit, he will raise us in the spirit and cause us to live a life that is able to awake to the righteousness that is promised us. So then, turn with me now to... Uh, turn with me now to... We've been to Corinthians. We've been to uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and 15. Turn with me now to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, the first to the third verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through, again, that righteousness which is of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And then, of course, you know, it tells us to add to our faith. But what it, the knowledge of God, thirdly, get, releases power to live godly. Because it adds virtue, knowledge, patience, temperance, and all those other habits of highly effective believers archived in this particular passage. It enables us to perform. And we must pray that by God's grace it's multiplied so we can exist as a spiritual being living out of our spirit. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. 
For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing beings fulfilled in every good work and increasing again in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto the patience and long suffering with joyfulness. What it lets us know is that the knowledge of God reveals divine matters. It reveals not only us to live godly, but it shows us exactly what is divine. And this is what Paul prayed on that church of Colossus, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Fifthly and finally, and we'll continue this on the next Doctrinal Thursday. It says, My son... Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 6. Hear the words of the Lord. If thou receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seeketh her as silver, and searcheth for her as the hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, that reverence, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, and out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Fifthly, the knowledge of God is released through reverence for the voice of God. It is important as we follow the apostles' doctrine that we understand that they would have no doctrine if they had not his words. They spoke that which they understood from that which Jesus manifested in his life, the fulfillment of Scripture. Shall we pray? Lord God, I pray right now that the words that were transmitted tonight would enable your church to have a greater appreciation for that which you taught on earth. And now we which receive instinctively endowments of divine insights. By your grace, Lord God, I pray that we would be able to connect the dots and the, and the insights and wisdom, knowledge and understanding and the know-how to confidently exist as your children, that we would learn to follow the Apostles' Doctrine. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, the instructor, who has given us the pattern. Now place upon us a conviction to obey the directives sent from your throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you are here, and the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, ye shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Simply say, I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that God raised Jesus from the dead. I thank God for the work that he did for me at Calvary. Well, this has been Doctrinal Thursdays. God bless you, and I'll, I'll hear you, and, and we'll study together on the next broadcast. God bless you, and good night. Urban Glory Radio. Simply Glory.